0: Hey everyone, this is Mike from You'll Probably Agree. Today, I have my usual co-host on, Ian Simmons from kickseat.com, and we talk about the 2010 Academy Award winning picture, The King's Speech, a movie that I found surprisingly relevant today, a movie that I wouldn't think I would find relevant, and the reasons why I do find it relevant, you will find out in this podcast. As always, I'd like to thank my sponsor, Galway Bay, located at 500 West Diversity Parkway in Chicago, Illinois. Of course, uh, Chicago's closed down now because, well, we all know why. Uh, but while they're closed down, you can buy some of the stuff from Galway Bay over at DualDrinkware.com. And you can find the link to Dual Drinkware in the information on this podcast or on this video, however you are listening or watching this, below. Uh, Over there, you can find some glasses you can buy, coasters, shirts. I own a bunch of them myself. I use them all the time. And we need to support any business any which way we can, you know, to sound like a commercial during these troubling times, blah, blah, blah. But... No, really, they, they've been amazing, they're a great bar, they've been around for a long time, and with a lot of the purchases I made, I, I use their stuff all the time, if I'm getting a glass of water or anything, I use uh, one of their glasses, and I put the glass on, that. you know how, how this, this stuff works, uh, anyways, having said all that, with the sponsors and everything, let's start the episode, thanks a lot. Listen to me listen to you by what right by divine right if you must i am your king no you're not you told me so yourself you said you didn't want it why should i waste my time listening because to i have a right to be so i have a voice yes you do hello everyone and welcome to you'll probably agree as usual from kickseat.com i have ian simmons on and today we're talking about a uh, movie that uh, I I guess maybe inappropriately I found a reference to because now that we have someone who overcame his stammer, who's uh, president-elect, thank God, um, I uh, decided, wow, you know, I keep thinking about the King's speech, about a man who had to overcome such an obstacle in order to, to address a nation, and it really made me sort of respect. Joe Biden, a way where I had to call voters all the time and they were saying, Oh, we see Niall." I told him, No, he stutters, and it takes a lot to overcome that. And it's an incredibly brave thing that he did. And I revisited this movie, and it was probably because of the award season. I didn't realize how wonderful it was uh, at the time. I think at the time I was like, ah, social network should have won, and this is ridiculous. This movie was Oscar bait. <laughs> my goodness it's it's fantastic the, the 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 uh difference between each character their distinctions uh, the uh relationship that uh king edward uh d- develops uh or as you say uh, king george <laughs> the sixth six yes yes uh <laughs> develops um you know with with lionel Logue uh the, the 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 absolute care and love of his wife sort of the rejection of his father all these characters really blend together in in an incredible way for a diverse cast and something that i boy i really want toby hooper to go back to making these period pieces uh tom tom hooper so, Oh, it's Tom Hooper! Oh my goodness, yeah, I've to, been calling Toby him. <laughs> I've been calling him the wrong name for years. That if... would
1: be awesome if the guy who directed this movie also had done Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yes. Uh.
0: <laughs> oh my goodness, could you could you just imagine the middle of the speech? <laughs> Leatherface just breaks in with the with a chainsaw, and, and 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 the king has to get away. And you just hear him getting killed on the air. <laughs> Very different movie. Um, <laughs> Very different. Yeah. Today, I want to address <laughs> I- <trust> your. Ah! <laughs>
1: oh man, uh, I would totally wow. watch that though. Yeah.
0: Um, yes, but Tom Hooper, I would love for him to go back and and make these kind of movies. I think he got the musical thing out of a system initially with Les Mis. And then he had to get more out of it. I know you love cats and, and God bless you for it. I'm glad that someone can confidently say I like cats. and do have your reasons. Uh, if, if for me, it was, uh, you know, beyond the nightmare fuel is just it was just kind of <laughs> a, a, a irritating to watch. Um, but this particular film and uh, when you think about john adams it's like he's fantastic at these period pieces especially with the way he frames his shots how he often uses that wide angle lens for close shots to accentuate how insecure uh, the king feels and how he feels like the whole world is watching him it's just wonderful the way he shoots the sound design the reverb they use in the beginning when he when he does his initial speech and he could can, he can't even get through it uh please tom return to these type of films and stay in your lane it, 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 this is what you're good at this is why you won the oscar for this uh having said that you told me i love this film oh uh, well, why do you love this film well, let me let me just back up.
1: Was watching it for this show the first time you'd seen it. It sounds like you missed it the first time around because you sort of dismissed it.
0: No, I actually bought it uh, when I when I, after I saw it initially when it, it came out. Uh, that was about okay. ten years ago, but I haven't I haven't seen it for so long since. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, like that's the thing is I saw it once in the theater
1: and I loved it so much that you know, I bought the Blu-ray. Possibly even the DVD beforehand, I don't remember. Um, so, when I pulled it off my shelf just this afternoon to watch it, or I guess mm. late this morning, this is only the second time I'd seen it. And I wondered why it is that I haven't revisited it in the 10 years since. Because um, I think it's an absolutely fantastic movie. Uh, I think it's just about perfect. Now, as well as with all historical biopics, I have no idea how much of it was. True or, or fabricated or switched around to, you know, the dramatic license and everything. I forgot mm-hmm. how funny it was. Um, mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> yes, I just yes. I have a memory of it being kind of a stodgy comedy, but or drama, but it's it's a genuine dramedy um, with fantastic performances. Uh, I understand why this film isn't remembered that well uh, because in 20 it, it got the best picture in 2011 for the 2010 slate of films and up for best picture that year you had black swan the fighter mm. inception 127 hours the social network toy story 3 true grit winter's bone and um the kids are all right which i think is probably the most minor of the of the films i listed but it's it's an impossible category and for such a traditional kind of Oscar bait picture to you know take the crown, including you know best actor and best director, and I think best screenplay as well. It it feels like kind of an upset because it is the least, I guess, original uh, of those films that I mentioned. However, I think it's a it's a hell of an achievement. The performances are wonderful, and I feel like more people if they had actually given the film a chance and just not snubbed it because I feel like there's a lot of people who didn't bother watching it because they were so pissed that you know all these other films were overlooked I think they might be pleasantly surprised
0: yeah it's strange with that year it really was kind of like comparing apples to oranges because each film was so distinct and and well made and completely different from one another that mm-hmm. when they gave it to Social Network, you go, oh, of course, they gave it to the period piece about an Englishman who overcomes a handicapped. Oh, of course it was. But it really is quite different from a lot of those other movies, particularly thanks to the mise en scene that. Uh, it just sound fancy that uh, Tom Hooper uh, incorporates into his picture.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's it's something that I hadn't expected. And now it's weird. I'm a Tom Hooper fan, but I think I've only seen two of his movies. I saw mm. this and Cats. I didn't see Les Mis um, Because I wasn't, you know, I don't know, It just felt really cold. I think it was that was a winter Oscar bait movie as well. And I just didn't feel like going to the theater to watch Hugh Jackman try and sing. Um, or
0: Or you mean Russell Crowe. Hugh Jackman can sing, but Russell Crowe. Oh,
1: yeah, that's right. Because I forgot he was also in The Greatest Showman. Yeah, I was thinking of uh, Russell Crowe. Yeah. Forgive, me. <laughs> Forgive me, Hugh. Um, and then was it the Dutch girl, I think? Um, the other th- the th- thing? Oh, the Eddie yes. Redmayne.
0: The, the Eddie Redmayne Oscar Bait movie number 50.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just, I don't know. I feel like I missed it for some reason. So, Yeah. I would have to go see more Tom Hooper to find out if I actually love all of his work or just the two movies that I've seen. Yeah. Um, but it's, a uh, yeah, even with something like cats, I think one of the reasons I loved the movie is not only because it was much better than I expected due to the, you know, outrage and the people being freaked out by the aesthetic, but I could tell that it was made with a real passion and brains. Uh, and you can see a lot of that in the King's speech, which I think on balance is a much better film for a lot of reasons. Hmm. But uh, you know, I wasn't expecting when I went to see this movie 10 years ago, that I would be as dazzled visually as I was And, and you touched on that uh, a lot a few minutes ago, but just the, you know, Jeffrey Rush's character, Lionel Logue, his office, once yeah. you get through the vestibule, it's like this massive wall that looks like it's not just peeled paint from like, what looked like several centuries but it has this kind of a rust feel and then there's this you know almost pristine sitting couch sitting up against it and the way that he uh, that all of the characters are constantly framed in like the lower fourth uh of the frame giving room to breathe for all of this uh, stuff around them it's just you could watch the movie with the sound off and i think be just as affected by you know the the drama that you can watch with the dialogue and everything
0: yeah i i really love cuz um this is something that hooper did a lot like if you've seen um uh, uh, john john adams that now i'm gaining the stammer but if you've seen john <laughs> adams uh he does this a lot with, with with the with shooting something on like let's say a 25 millimeter lens with a close-up you know, you'll see the actor's face really accentuated while the the background is sort of out of the depth of field focus. Mm-hmm. And it's really meant to show how a character feels isolated, nervous, you know, stared after. And that works for those particular things, because John Adams, much like uh, King George the Sixth, was someone who had a bit of a temper, uh, didn't quite fit in uh, to everything, but he was a very decent man. He might have been stern, but he was compassionate and he was driven. And that's the relationship between these characters that I truly respected. And Hooper really does make A style with this film where I think before he went overboard, starting with Les Mis with it, he was able to hold back a little bit, you know, he wasn't taking the big crane and doing these big unnecessary swooping shots where you feel like you're on one of those rides in an amusement park where it goes around and around and up and down for no particular reason. Here, he really accentuates how a character might feel out of place and I really appreciate how he was able to frame this movie I mean there were some shots in here that were very Japanese in nature where I was even kind of questioning why is he doing this where you would have uh, uh, the king or I should say Bertie uh, speaking uh, to Lionel and the camera is on the side of his face like a completely profile angle almost not profile but a side profile and the rest is just the wall completely breaking the the you know the the 180 degree rule and i'm just kind of wondering why is he doing that but i suppose it's because it is to show how this guy feels distant from everyone in this movie but yet in his insecurity, he likes to draw himself a little closer and a little closer to Lionel until they're kind of shot in a traditional style, uh, Lionel and Bertie, where you could see they're truly great friends. And, and the way the relationship develops throughout that movie is absolutely wonderful.
1: It is. Um, and it's a hard one. I mean, if you look at the, the arc of this film, you can kind of tell how everything's going to land uh you know the two guys who don't really get along in the beginning because the the one who's the sort of almost the heir to the throne uh, coming up in, in the, the dawn of world war ii uh he has a stammer he's very insecure about his place in the world because he's got an older brother who is the heir to the throne who's also mm-hmm. a philanderer he's got a father who doesn't really care about him is always you know writing his ass about stuff uh you know but he's also got that sort of royal birth, so he is a bit of a snob and an elitist. And he meets this speech therapist, uh, who is a struggling Australian actor. Although I don't think Rush Jeffrey Rush tried at all to do anything <laughs> with the Australian thing. Yeah, um, but it, but that's fine because he's Jeffrey Rush and he's he's amazing. Um, yeah. <laughs> but you know, there's sort of this classism mixed with this insecurity that just comes out as this cool distant you know almost rage of like i can't believe i'm sitting here i've been through a million speech therapists none of them have worked and now i've got this guy that my wife found like through a random connection uh and they do grow closer but there's always that insecurity that threatens to lash out like in a beautiful scene where the two men are walking through uh you know a garden or something and they get Mm -hmm. into an argument and you know king george the sixth at this point kind of pulls the ultimate card and says well you don't have to listen to you. you're you're a failed actor and not even a good speech therapist i quit uh and you can tell that those words really hurt uh lionel uh, you can see it on jeffrey rush's face i think one of the keys to that character is the early audition scene Mm -hmm. where he goes just to a local community theater to try out for uh, for a shakespearean play that they're putting on and he doesn't do very well and he gets kind of criticized and you know talked down to by these, this community theater troupe. And he's like, well, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of used to this. I'll go back to what I get paid for. But you can mm-hmm. tell that as he gets closer and closer to helping this king to be ready to take the world stage, there's a bit of jealousy in there. There's a bit of pride that he's going to be able to, to help pull this off and <laughs> potentially save a lot of lives. Uh, mm-hmm. But there's also the same kind of little boy sadness that his patient feels at the hands of his father, when he gets told, you know, you're just, you know, you never made it in what you wanted to do. So now you're just helping me and I quit. So what do you have? It's there's so many different layers going on in that one little scene than any other movie is just, you know, a fight between two people.
0: Yeah, it really is. Cause you know, we've seen that scene so many times where you, you get into that big fight, you know, like think of marriage story, you know, where, Mm -hmm. where they finally, you know, say what they've always been thinking. Right. But here there's so much more to it because we're not thinking it, but it's sort of in the back of our heads and then the movie sort of brings it to the front of our of our of our conscious. And, the, the you know, the wonderful thing is this really kind of relates to the screenwriter of the movie, uh, David Seedler, because um, as a child, he had a stammer himself and he listened to uh, King George, the six wartime speech. And he wow. wrote to queen Elizabeth, um, the, you know, the mother of uh, King George and asked for permission to use the King's story to create a movie. And she asked him if she could make it not during her lifetime, because the memories were too painful. And he respected her request. Now when Siegler won the Academy award, He was the oldest person to win the Oscar, and maybe it's because I'm turning a bit older. In my head, I'm thinking uh, (laughs) I'm turning a bit older now. Uh, But I, I, I really love those stories about people who are older who make it in life. You know, because this is a guy who never really made it. You know, he never really had a degree as a uh, as a speech therapist. He never really made it as an actor. You know, he just kind of settled down, had kids, lived in this little place and just said, "Okay, that's it. But it's not one of those never let go of your dreams sort of, you know, sentimental BS movies. It was one of those films where this guy kind of stammered, for lack of better terms, because now it's in my frontal lobe, um, Mm -hmm. into this into this man who you know, kind of knighted him in this very prestigious position. And it's really one of those films that inspired me because it is sort of about ageism. And it really is about how you could make it in your life no matter what age you are. And no matter, you know, no matter how much of a failure you think you are. Because here's here's a real story about a real man who, who actually made it. And it wasn't because he was trying to be something it was just something that happened to him by by coincidence and it was so believable and so wonderful that's why i love stories about real life you know uh, compared to something that's entirely fictionalized sometimes because i think uh reality uh, as they say as we certainly found out through this year could be stranger than fiction and this is mm-hmm. certainly uh, a wonderful instance of that
1: yeah i mean i'm, I'm going to disagree slightly uh i think sure. No, I mean, in in principle, I think you're, um, you're correct, but this very much is one of those rah, rah, follow your dreams, at no matter what cost Hmm. movies, it just delivers it in a sort of a roundabout way. Because if you think about it, uh, Lionel's story, which we learn, you know, at the, you know, just like in the third act, which was, you know, a beautiful uh, moment between him and the king, uh, once he shows up uh, to do this like big kind of a dress rehearsal for when he's going about to take the throne. Uh, and the archbishop has a little confab with the higher ranking people <laughs> that he has access to, including, yeah. you know, the Downing street folks said, so, yeah, we did digging on this, uh, this speech therapist and, you know, he's not a real doctor. Mm. So King George uh, takes offense to this because it's not, I don't think he thinks he's been tricked. I think that he was just kicking himself because he didn't pay attention to the details, which Lionel's quick to point out. You know, my nameplate just says, you know, uh, lionel loge uh, speech therapist there's no it doesn't say doctor and there are no letters after my name <laughs> yeah. yeah um but he, so lionel goes through his kind of life story and you know how it ties into world war one it also ties into his acting passions and how that translated to helping soldiers uh to come out of their shell shock or to deal with their shell shock after the war now if he had just given up on the acting thing those opportunities might not have uh, presented themselves. Uh, furthermore, once he discovered a new passion with the speech therapy, uh, he gained some notoriety, he was able to set up a business and support his family with it. Uh, but he still kept on doing the acting thing, mm-hmm. uh, which is to say that you might not become, you know, the the best, most respected performer in the world, or get to be the guy who's out on the world stage, you know, trying to stop Hitler. Uh, but, you really can't give up on your passions you know even if you get kicked uh, he's he's been through these auditions before uh, that, that bit of dialogue comes out you know in his wife and i think even she play, played by the wonderful jennifer l she's like what are you doing like <laughs> yeah it's, yeah it's not happening but he keeps he keeps it's not necessarily the thing that we see driving him but we do see him going to that audition and that one scene is included in the film ostensibly out of context but in the greater sense of the story it shows what he really does care about he's got two passions now and he's not willing to let either of them go
0: yeah I, I guess that's yeah that's true that's true it, it really is kind of like a follow your dream sort of thing but in a very different way you know yeah. I, I feel like I, I'm kind of there myself because I'm uh, getting a degree in, in in childhood education but I'm still making movies i I don't think I, don't I knew that,
1: of... man. That's that's really cool. What when did when did you start this? Uh,
0: um, well, yeah, I guess I didn't like make a big announcement out of it or anything, but uh, I um is uh, I've always been teaching kids uh, since I was uh, gosh a long time ago. This is like back when I was working on Transformers and not not working. Out. I was the guy stopping people across the street. But uh, did they pay you for this? Yeah, uh, then you were working on it. <laughs> kind of like I wasn't part of the creative team, but there wasn't much creativity behind that film anyways. <laughs> Touche. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, during then I was just teaching little kids in a camp how to make a movie. We didn't really have our own equipment or anything. I just brought in my own stuff. And then I, uh, taught a little class in Northwestern, uh, 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 how to, you know, teach kids how to make movies. And then, uh, I guess I get along so well with my niece and nephew. I, you know, my, my nephew is attached to me like a magnet <laughs> that, uh, my family suggested maybe you should teach kids. And I'm like, you know, that's a good way for me to settle down and make some money and, you know, uh, get get enough money to, to get a house. And, uh, you know, at the same time I'd have the summers to myself to where I can still make my movies, uh, and still pursue that passion. And, Uh, I felt a bit like Lionel where he's like, he's kind of leading a double life. Like Everyone tells you uh, don't have a, you know, don't have a backup plan. Don't have a backup plan. And if I were to go to film schools today, I would tell them, don't listen to those guys. Have a backup plan because you don't, because you don't hear about the stories of hundreds of thousands of people who die in their studio apartments living on rent. You know, uh, you want to have something else so then you can die not living with the regret that you know you did what you loved, but you died not loving how you lived. So, well, and,
1: and that's you know, that's a whole philosophical conversation, yeah. Um, but, but I, no, I guess that's it, but why you, I
0: related to Lionel, yes. <laughs> well, no, but I mean, you, you bring up a, an way, excellent, yeah.
1: you bring up an excellent point. Most of the people that we hear espousing that don't have a backup plan, it worked for them. But, you know, and I I hear a lot of this from like Adam Green and Joe Lynch, the the horror and action movie directors, who I respect a great deal and I love their work and I think that it really has worked for them, but it can be, you know, not that great advice. I'm not saying you want to be a filmmaker, just forget that and go into accounting <laughs>
0: yeah, 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 <laughs> But yeah, yeah. or
1: law school, but, yeah. you know, maybe the backup plan could be tangentially related to the thing that you want to your passion. Like if it's yeah. not, you know, filmmaking as the only thing, it's, you know, like get a degree in business. So you know how to start your own studio or, or something like that. Mm. Um, something that's market marketable, but no, I think that that's great. You going into uh, to education and, uh, and again, you're taking something that you're very interested in. And and yeah, much like Lionel, a passion that you sort of discovered later on, you're finding the way to marry those things into something that will hopefully, you know, if not give you everything you've always wanted, like millions of dollars, then at least the ability to be comfortable and not have to worry about where the next meal is coming from, but, you know, when you're going to make your next movie.
0: <laughs> yeah, yes, yes, exactly. I mean, that's why I'm getting that nice little camera today, you know, or Yeah. Or depends when I get that. I got that loan for it. That's I'm getting very personal now, but that's okay. I'm <laughs> okay being personal. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> that's what movies are about, man. It's about the exactly, person. exactly. Movies are uh, a gateway as, as, as uh, Roger Eber said to empathy. And uh, towards empathy, you know, we get into the personal details of someone's life. And that was something that, uh, to revert it so masterfully to, uh, to uh, Bertie, uh, he didn't want to talk about his personal life for so long with Lionel. You know, he said, that's none of your business. You address me as the king and that's it. And I love the dichotomy between the two because Bertie, not Bertie, I'm sorry, uh, Lionel was in that position where the guy had, uh, you know, set a sort of confidence to him where he said, look, you're in my house. It's my rules. I don't care. If you're the King of England, you know, it doesn't matter. You do what I say. I'm like, I don't know if I'd have the confidence to do that, but I like this guy, you know, and I think the whole audience at that moment is being told by Tom Hooper. like, hey, this guy's all right. Yeah, you know, this guy doesn't take shit from anyone. He's letting well, you, uh, you know, he, 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 he will tell the King of England, I don't, I don't care who the hell you are. You, you're going to do what I say. And the King of England has this whole sort of stature, like, well, how dare you, you know, little citizen man, uh, tell me what to do. But eventually he really respects that. And he respects how, uh, uh, you know, sort of, brazen he is in his attitude, you know, especially towards that scene when he they're rehearsing his big sort of inauguration and he's sitting in the chair and he mm. goes, you can't sit there. How dare you? And he's like, Oh, who cares? People scratch their names yes. on this chair. <laughs> I like, love like that. it matters. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, you know, a, a few things because you're, yeah. you know, not brushing past, but there is yeah. again, what I love about this movie is there's so much you can dig into Uh, as a bit of, you know, pop psychology. And that's, I don't use that in the derogatory term. You can learn a lot by watching the characters in this movie Um, because Lionel, I think if I had to guess one of the things that gave him that confidence to, you know, say my rules, my house is that he was an independent speech therapist. Uh, He was obviously making enough money to get by uh, but he had also faced a life of hardship, as we saw with the war. Mm. Uh, he also faced a life of rejection. So once you get rejected that many times, you kind of build up a wall of like, well, you know, if you don't want to do, you know, play by my rules, someone else is going to come through that door and pay me. So you know, just, <laughs> I, and I don't want to have to deal with a bunch of nonsense. He's got enough nonsense he's got to deal with in his you know, daily life and in his own head that he doesn't need to bother with someone who's got an attitude now when it comes to Colin Firth's character the the erstwhile king he yes he is uh, brazen and he's got this attitude but what I one of the things I loved about this performance outside of the physical mannerisms which are just spectacular to watch oh, that opening yeah. scene where he's giving that speech and you uh. can see the throat like he's honestly it feels like he's working out a genuine stutter almost like Colin Firth was cast because he's got a real problem you know after uh, you, oh,
0: I'm sorry go ahead but I'll tell you
1: no one. no no yeah. uh, I'll, I'll hold my tangent you, you what, what do you want to say
0: oh no 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 it's it's interesting uh I I want you to finish the thought oh
1: okay um yeah. but what I loved is that you can see that in inst- the, the brazenness that he has the royal stature also, undergirding that is a severe insecurity based on his dad and his brother and how they they put him down. they made fun of him when he was you know a little kid when he developed that stammer. They were just relentless uh, bullies. now if the, if the father King George had walked into Lionel Logue's office, uh, I think it would have been a very different situation. I think he would have stormed out and never come back and probably would have found a way for the Downing Street folks to <laughs> lock Jeffrey Rush up in a, in the in the castle tower um but that uh those walls kind of uh they don't completely melt away because he needs a certain amount of guardedness in order to do the job but he does let lionel in and he even opens up a bit to his wife uh so yeah it's it's a friendship that is unlocking crazy repressive doors in both men's psyche. And we get to see that, you know, those locks, those keys being turned throughout the whole thing from beginning to end. It's just, it's a magnificent feat.
0: Yeah, they really do kind of learn from each other in a way. Uh, uh, Obviously, Bertie learns how to sort of open himself up to more people because he wanted to always open up. I think there's always that little bit of him that you can see. Just through, through Firth where he's like, I want to say this, but I don't. And then eventually he kind of does start to verbally express his feelings, his personal life. And Jeffrey Rush learns, okay, sometimes I can't, you know, be so assertive towards people. I need to learn how to hold back. Yeah. And they've first sort of learned that from each other. I mean, it, it kind of reminds me, I wish, I wish our president learned how to hold back a little bit, you know? <laughs> yeah. um,
1: well, I think one of the, one of the great illustrations, we were talking earlier about how this is a, a visually great movie. Yeah. This is, it's a film school moment. And I don't mean that in a derogatory way either, mm-hmm. but conveying a certain sense of character dynamics through the visual storytelling and not just the acting of the script uh there's a scene it's where we first meet king george uh played by the brilliantly by michael gambin mm-hmm. who is one of three harry potter alums to show up in this film yeah um, yeah but you know when we see him he's very stern he's a grumpy guy he's always shot from this you know uh an upper kind of angle like he's the authority yeah, figure you get the warm side view yeah Right. But when you see Colin Firth, it's shot, you know, not from a bird's eye view, but from the vantage point of a man standing, looking down at his son, whom he doesn't respect. So Colin Firth is constantly in that mode in the, in the frame. Plus, his suit looks just a little bit too big. Yeah. And the three speakers that are in front of him, because he's doing a test, a radio test, uh, those things are, they look almost disproportionately Big, like something at Pee Wee's Playhouse. So you can see, you can see, you can see the little boy. It, it, yeah. without like actually showing a little boy in a big person's suit. You can see how Colin th- feels like a little boy. Like this is, I'm reverting. You're talking to me like I was like you were when I was five and I feel that and I'm embarrassed because I'm ostensibly a grown man, but I'm, I'm trapped in this you know kid mind.
0: Yeah. I mean, especially when he first tries on the, the big honorary suit when he's going to be <laughs> inaugurated, you know, he, the shoulder patches aren't quite working and he's adjusting them and then <laughs> When he's you know done with his speech that didn't go so well before the parliament, his kids try to welcome him, and they're the ones acting more mature than him in a way. with they're like, "Daddy, how you doing?" And he's like, uh, "Good," <laughs> you know. he doesn't quite know, he because he, he, he's from royalty, you know. He's and he doesn't want to be part of that. I think in real life, uh, 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 Colin Firth didn't agree with the whole patriarchy, you know. He was more sort of a, a Republican, not the way we imagine Republicans, mm-hmm. but Republican in terms of the English motto where, you know, it was more individualism in his mind. And I think, yeah. Yeah, King George wasn't really in the mindset of the patriarchy. I was reading a little bit on him and during world war two, you know, he really was sort of a, a symbol of strength. And uh, when a lot of people were evacuating England, when, the germans are doing their bombing runs him and his wife they actually stayed um you know while they were you know bombing buckingham you know and the the, you know they they lost their water they lost their electricity i believe and you know they did it because they wanted to be with the people i believe and you know that that was something that was uh, i didn't know about him but you could certainly sort of see his mannerisms in this film
1: you know what? Hell, I think uh, Helena Bonham Carter and Colin Firth were so great in this movie. I'd like to see a movie about that. Like, like this, this movie, <laughs> yeah. this film takes us right up to the dawn of World War II. And when it was over, as I was wiping tears away from my eyes mm. the second time, I'm like, mm. I want to see more of this. Like, why isn't this a miniseries?
0: Yeah, uh, they did make a movie, I think, in, in, in uh, 2003. Uh, it wasn't about, uh, you know, like after the speech and everything, but it was sort of about a stammer. And I think it was called um, uh, Birdie and Elizabeth or something like that. But mm. yeah, I, I'm not sure how good that one is. Uh, but I, I but then I got I haven't seen it. So, you know, who am I to say? Um, but well, yes, just a wonderful about- relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And considering this is the
1: second Helen Bonham Carter movie I watched this week the other was 2009's Terminator Salvation <laughs> uh,
0: so, yeah oh my goodness yeah oh, so God.
1: but here, here's the thing like I have not seen I've seen a bunch of Helen Bonham Carter movies but they always tend to be like the collaborations with Tim Burton or like the, the yeah. really weird ones this is the first time I think I've seen her where she's playing a quote-unquote normal person uh yeah. where the where the costume isn't doing half the work or like in fight club she was just like kind of a maniac uh, mm-hmm. she was excellent uh in this movie and i think uh want like you were saying about george's attitudes towards the quote-unquote common man i think a lot of that came possibly from his relationship with elizabeth because she said you know, I turned, I turned down your first two marriage proposals, because I'm like, I don't want to be a part of that, you know, that royal life, Yeah, royal life. So you get the sense that, you know, he was drawn to her possibly because she wasn't like everybody else. Yeah. And he was she was drawn to him because, you know, just plain old love, I guess, and charm. Uh Yeah, yeah it's just there's so much here that I think, again, I think if audiences had really just come in out of the cold and, and watched this, they would have found just as much text and subtext as Inception or the social network, but just in a different vein.
0: Yeah, it just wasn't the right time, I think, for this movie to uh, to get the big award. And uh, yeah, I mean, I still I don't know if I like this or social. Network. You can't really compare them if you really oh. think about it. They're so different that I mean, that's kind of the problem with the Oscars in general is you know, you, they kind of turn it into as as one of my friends, uh, uh, as one of uh, it'll make sense once I finish the sentence, as one of my gay friends uh, said, you know, what's the gay Super Bowl? And I'm kind of like, yeah, you're like, I'm a straight guy. But yeah, it, it kind of is like that. That's my that, like, I, am I straight? I don't know. Who knows? We're all a little gay. Um, <laughs> but I, I was kind of like, yeah, that's the same thing. Like, because, you know, my dad yells at sports games. I'd be yelling at the Oscars, you know. I, I remember one uh, and I'm not the only one. I remember uh, they had the Logan Theater in Chicago and they would have like these little Oscar parties there. And uh, hmm. I get a few Jack and Coke deep and I'd be, screw- you know, I, I was like going nuts when Parasite won. I mean, I, I lost my bet. I didn't make any money that day because I think everyone did. Nobody expected that movie to win. But what the hell was I talking about? Uh, <laughs> uh, you were talking <laughs> yeah. about
1: the gay Oscars. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> And the Logan Theater and, yeah. Yeah,
0: um, I, get, I guess it, what I'm saying is. Just the idea of like, I guess,
1: rooting for movies. Yeah, kind of rooting thing. for yeah. movies
0: instead of, uh, instead, this is my stammer here. I, instead of, <laughs> I already used that joke. Instead, you know, of, of sporting events, you know, we, we sort of turn it into this sporting event rather than examining films for what they are. And that's something that I've,
1: you know, talking about maturing, I don't know if it's a sign of maturity or perspective or just, you know, having other things to care about. Yeah. I used, to, I remember 1994, you know, I was in high school and I was the world's biggest Tarantino fan. Mm. Uh, and so I was, you know, rooting for that versus Forrest Gump. And now <sighs> in later years, you know, when it comes down to the contest and being, you know, part of the, a critics group, you know, we have our awards and you have to vote for like, who was the yeah. your choice for the best picture? And it's it's all kind of a guess, but, you know, I, and, and, you know, a matter of taste. Uh, but I don't feel like I need to be in the contest anymore. It's like, okay, out of these 10 nominees or whatever, I will be happy if any of them won. Or if yeah. that one won, I'd be less thrilled. But, you know, they all have their different merits. Uh, ideally, there's a mix like we had in 2010 where they don't all just kind of blur together. Um, that's why I'm one of the few people that when Green Book took home the Oscar, I was like, sure,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I don't really have strong feelings about that movie. I don't, I saw it once, I was like, yeah, okay, you know, that was, it. yeah. Well, it, <laughs> yeah. that's
1: the thing is, I and it's complicated because I, I really liked a lot of Green Book. I, I wouldn't say yeah. that I loved it, but I kind of did. Um, and I don't know how much of that love was fueled by the backlash and the outrage. Over the movie. It, it, it fed your
0: strength. You're like, yes. I'm the critic last people ask from. Yes. Give me more. <laughs> and then just like a glowing orb just came through your eyes and your mouth and your nostrils. Like, I have the power to disagree. Sorry. I, <laughs> I, I, I became mecha
1: kickseat. Yes.
0: Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> there are some instances where you're like, shit like one Shakespeare in Love won over Saving Private Ryan. You know, I, I was a
1: huge, I, I was a big, no, I was a big fan of Shakespeare in Love. Now, I have not watched Ugh. it. I have not watched it in probably mm-hmm. 15 years, so I'm probably due for a rewatch. But uh, you know, and I, I didn't really dig Saving Private Ryan when I first saw it. Oh, um, you I've really come to are the
0: last person people ask movies. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, that's true. Uh, but no, I, <laughs> no, don't don't get me wrong. I've seen yeah. Saving Private Ryan, I think, three times, and each time I see it, I appreciate it a little bit more. Now to the point where I, I genuinely love that movie. Um, but it's kind of like what we've been talking about. Why do you need to choose?
0: Yeah, you know, yeah. it is.
1: It is a completely different kind of movie for a completely different kind of audience. Really so is it you know was it the best period romantic dramedy of the time yes just as saving private ryan was the best war movie of possibly a generation up until that point so that's fair too it just didn't happen to win the quote-unquote most important contest
0: yeah Ugh, i just i loathe that movie and i loathe the way it won because of weinstein you know but uh I'm sorry. I threw up a little bit, uh, but <laughs> oh. no, no, it's all right. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Uh, isolation isn't getting to me, um, but <laughs> no uh, King speech. I, I, I really don't know what else to say about this movie other than like, I just have so much relevance because I just think about how, how our, our, our upcoming president was someone where I just find it's kind of inspiring that, Uh, And I'm glad they capitalized a little bit on it. I wanted to, like, pitch a whole ad about it, about, like, you know, yeah, I stutter. Yeah, it's hard for you to watch sometimes, but guess what? I stuttered, and I still made it to the highest office in the world, and that means you can do it, too. And I just thought, you know, that's amazing, because this guy had to make this speech during World War II, basically declaring a state of war against Germany, where his brother wanted to basically surrender to them. And, Where,
1: you know that's that yeah. we haven't really even talked about guy pierce yeah um, playing david who one of the things i i love about this film is it doesn't have it is not obvious in the way that that relationship plays out uh, yeah. i was fully expecting i don't know how history actually worked out but uh david the older brother who was heir to mm-hmm. the throne he was in love with this woman named uh, wallace who was living in england but she was actually from delaware and she had a reputation for sleeping around she was twice once divorced currently married but seeking a divorce so she could run off with david and there was this whole political thing about how that just wasn't done and that wasn't going to work out. So David, once King George died, he actually abdicated the throne to his brother so he could go be with Wallace, which is crazy. Uh, but I was waiting for the title card at the end because we got the, you know, where are they now title cards or where yeah. were they then? Uh, I was waiting for a thing like, you know, we know two years into now. the war <laughs> wallet. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was waiting for like two years into the war. Wallace left David (laughs) (laughs) kind of a thing, but it's just kind of left open. Um, So maybe they, maybe they made it work. I don't know, but I did love that relationship because you see the contrast of everything David had he yeah. was compl- he was also insecure in a, in a totally different way. When his father passed away, he goes and like collapses into his mother's arms because oh, now yeah. he's not just the millionaire, globe-trotting playboy who hosts like fancy parties. He's the king of England yeah. <laughs> and the empire, as they put it. And he's like, I don't really want to do this. I want to fly planes and hook up with girls and you know have high society parties. What am I gonna do?
0: Yeah, yeah. And it was just. I, and the mother didn't even like embrace him. And I think there is a line from uh, from Colin Firth where he said to his father, "We're not a family, we're a brand," or something mm-hmm. of that nature. And it's like, yeah, yeah, it reminds me of another family,
1: you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a, uh, but what I liked is that there was all these different levels of of dysfunction uh, in that family. I mean, I, I, I think if I had to guess, uh, well, because the mom abdicated her responsibility because uh, colin firth says at one point talking about his childhood how he was basically raised by the nannies and one of them was very yeah. abusive towards him mm-hmm. but the mother i can understand maybe she didn't feel that much for her sons but could also be that she realized the horror that now that the king of england is dead this joker is going to be the the, yeah. the leader of the free world at that point well yeah. I, aside from america but you know what i'm saying
0: Yeah. And and, and especially in the context of 1936, you know, you had to be a strong man. And his dad said, he's like, (laughs) you know, and to them, they're like, you can't act weak like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the, you know, stiff upper lip and all that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, uh, uh, a bro. And he was supposed to be the older brother and he did not. I mean, he actually wasn't older than Colin Firth. He was, I think like 10 years younger and it it showed, but Yeah. yeah,
1: but, but you know, and I, I didn't really think about that until you, until you mentioned it. Cause I always kind of thought of Colin Firth as being kind of ageless, uh, mm-hmm. but there was something like older bratty brother in his performance that yeah. I think, even though he was 10 years younger in real life, that's sort of a great indicator of his lack of maturity in being able to handle a role. Because even when they're just stalking around Colin Firth has the demeanor of a little boy, with this bullied brother but he looks from outward appearances like he's the older one who's in charge because he's wearing the you know the kind of the suit whereas his brother is more like kind of business casual attire most times
0: yeah I, again i'm in the school of i don't care if an actor doesn't look like the real person if they can play the role then that's what's important and um, king george the 6th to look anything like colin Firth, and there was a lot of <laughs> controversy behind that originally paul bettany was supposed to have the, the role and he wanted to spend time with his family so it went to uh colin firth and uh yeah if you look at king george six he, he's like this very young 20 some looking guy and you look at colin firth that movie looks like he's in his 40s but it didn't matter because i listened to the actual speech uh last night and it it it's almost like I I couldn't tell who was Colin Firth and who was King George when I listened to it. And when I listened to it in a way. Yeah. I, you know, I, I want to go back and listen
1: to that too. Um, One of the things that I loved the, the bit of production design is when he's delivering the eponymous king speech in that booth at the end mm-hmm. with lionel we get a shot of the script that he has the speech that he's reading and it's all marked up in red with like the little <laughs> dividers to help you know you know you speak these two words and then speak this next cluster of words and then yeah. you've got jeffrey rush kind of conducting him like an orchestra that mm-hmm. there is we didn't talk about the the foul language montage in the middle of the movie where one of the exercises is, you know, Lionel notice, you know, you don't stutter or you don't stammer when you swear, try swearing. And then so that circles back at the end where Colin Firth is getting stuck between two phrases and you see Jeffrey Rush just mouth fuck, fuck, fuck while he's, uh, you know, yes. conducting his hands like an orchestra. And then Colin Firth plays the follow up note. Uh, to that in the form of the next cluster of words I mean I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about something I watched an hour ago <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah a proud tradition with the Simmons watch a movie right before the podcast it works no no no, no, no it works other, yeah. other,
1: otherwise I'd be getting this mixed up with Terminator Salvation so yes. <laughs> <laughs> remember that
0: scene when he was in Skynet like what
1: <laughs> you're a cyborg why can't you read no um, yeah <laughs> Uh,
0: uh, I, no, no, uh, yeah, it, it was like a split script when you're on when you're on set, uh, but it's funny. It's why do you think I swear so much? It gets me through the fucking stuttering. There you go. Uh But is that is that true? I think. Yeah, I, oh, I think oh. that's why a lot of people swear. I think that's why you see a lot of people swear in general because they didn't want to say uh 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 so they said uh, fucking. You know, eh, so that's why they. <laughs> I fucking knew that um so fucking what the fuck was i fucking thinking about <laughs> now i got my rating uh fucking and see now now it's now i'm doing it but no, there was a scene See if, if we were doing the video version
1: of this i could actually be conducting with my hands to get that, oh, that hump. <laughs>
0: yeah yes 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 exactly uh exactly mr Simmy. uh but well see singing helps too So what I was thinking was one scene that really actually works in real life is when he puts on the headphones and Mm. reads the recording uh, from Hamlet, you know, the to be or not to be. It's from Hamlet, right? I'm not stupid, Uh, but I believe so. Yes. Okay. Um, (laughs) And I remember there's this video essay I was doing, right, or I am doing and the 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 scripts like an hour long and i don't know how i was going to get through it so i played the score to the thing i'm talking about in some headphones while i read it and it sounded beautiful the problem was i was playing the score so loud through the headphones that you could hear the score through my headphones while i was reading it in the recording oh <laughs> but i also recorded it on my so that might be why but it works you know a lot of these mess <laughs> a lot of these methods work I love how Lionel didn't come from a speech background because I can tell you from being in film school and working on set I don't really remember anything I learned in film school but I remember everything I learned on set and it's really mm. through experience and you know I can
1: it's uh it's kind of the same thing in the art world I mean I I yeah. recommend formal training um even if there are things that you kind of forget they can pop up in kind of strange ways later on. They're helpful, but you definitely, it is helpful to have that sort of a calling card of some form of degree to get you onto that set or into that meeting where you're going to get the art job. That's going to teach you way more than you know now.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So it's, it's all, I, and same with being a critic in writing, you know, I, I can read a lot of reviews. I mean, I've read a lot of stuff from, from Roger Ebert because uh, reasons and <laughs> i it wasn't until i just started writing and writing and writing and writing and writing until i used to use thesaurus on the side all the time you know because i'm like what's another word now i barely use it and i just come up with the words yeah you know it's all about experience well and that's something um
1: that You know, I wasn't, I wasn't really a critic at the time when this came out, but I definitely am one now. And something that stirred in me watching it today is Lionel's story is a great mirror for, you know, my own story. And I think yours to a certain extent, you know, when we became film critics, we aren't we weren't credentialed in the sense that we went to school for journalism. Mm. Uh, we didn't work on, you know, struggle to work on a big newspaper and, you know, get into print and everything. We just decided, hey, we will like talking about movies We we'll like writing about film. We're just going to go out and do it and people will take notice. And, you know, the quote unquote right people did take notice. So now we are credentialed and to some degree, you know, recognized and respected as being people who, you know, you can turn to despite, you know, the, the subtitle of my website. Uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, it is just that idea that, yeah, there are going to be people who are going to look down on you because you don't have the right you know, degree or, or papers, but if you really want to do something, you can go out and make it happen. Might be in a roundabout way, might not be exactly the way
0: you'd hoped for it, but you can make it happen. Most careers I think work out that way where people go, I wasn't going to do this and I fell into it. You know, I mean, that's how I fell into my, you know, I, I worked as an intern on Ebert presents of the movies and I didn't, uh, I, I wasn't the biggest fan of critics at the time, mm-hmm. but uh, once I got to know them, I'm like, Oh, you guys aren't just a bunch of stuffed up snobs, you know, like a lot of them, like you're cool. I, you know, I can't think of a lot of critics stop my head or stops, you know, i mean, of course there are some, but there are some in the film world as well. You know, there, there was this great moment in film school that was very defining for me where I stopped watching experimental films. and just went the blockbuster movies because I remember we had this class called the aesthetics of cinema. And, and there was this one student who, you know, he was like your typical kind of, Blockbustery kind of guy you know like i think he cited transformers for his aesthetics sort of thing you know whatever mm. and uh he he said in class you know i i don't like experimental films and i know everybody has a right to their own opinion and one of the students in the back along with her entourage she says you don't and then they all just kind of like laughed like <laughs> yeah. Mm. yeah and i just thought you know what fuck these people Fuck this. I I'm just going to watch stupid movies because you people have a huge stick up your ass. And it wasn't until I worked on that show that I realized, oh, not everyone's like that. What yeah, that has I mean, to do with the king's speech is nothing. <laughs> well, yeah. no, but I, I think there is
1: there is a tangent there. It sort of relates back to what we we're talking to. I mean, because yeah. you look at the archbishop and, and all the quote-unquote right people who had you know a cadre of specialists that, that could be recommended for the job, but none of them would have really fit because he'd been to a bunch of those people or, or folks were kind of related to that profession, and they were all very academic. As we learned during the first meeting, uh birdie was saying i just want you to fix the mechanics or maybe it was uh, elizabeth who said that uh you know don't uh, nothing personal we just want to fix the mechanics as if the the right vocal exercises or relaxing of the jaw is going to help get rid of his stutter when really it's more about the psychology of it but if lionel had gone to a speech practitioner's school to give a speech on his methods he might have gotten laughed out of the room because like wait we don't about our patients' childhoods. We, you know, we got to do the vocal exercises. You know, get out of here. So yeah. it's that it is that kind of a thing. But it also goes to prove that there's room for all of it. You know, there's room for a rigorous academic study, or I should say, there's a place for it. But there's also a place to be imaginative and not close any doors. So watch the big blockbusters, watch the experimental films, and discover how they interplay with each other. Mm-hmm. Because I don't care how much of a you know, I don't watch blockbuster movies, independent filmmaker you are. The truth is you're alive in this culture that is largely built on popular entertainment. So some of that's getting into your mind, into your aesthetic, even if you're consciously editing around it or editing out that kind of stuff, you're being affected by it. So it's great yeah. to have a holistic approach to
0: understanding movies. Exactly. And I don't, you know, not every day I, I want to, if, if, I'm, if I'm tired and the world's bringing me down i don't want to be like hey let's watch a uh uh let's watch a uh, michael venner fessbender film like nah i don't think so i'll watch lego star wars special <laughs> that doesn't make me any less pretty good. and that's why you're because no. you're able to bring that around masterfully done
1: <laughs> well thank you yeah Um, But yeah, I mean, you're, you're right. It's, it's also what mood are you in? So, you know, you can go on a bender where like, I'm only going to watch experimental film for a year. And then (laughs) you can also say, okay, now for the next six months, I'm only going to I'm going to review Michael Bay's entire filmography. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) There are so many movies that you can watch and just learn from, even if there's things you think you can't learn from. And sometimes those ones you learn the most from.
0: Yeah. Well, I think on that note, we we can wrap it there so ian thank you so much uh the King's speech uh, a wonderful inspiring movie to check out one that's particularly relevant today uh which i didn't think it would be but hey here we are what do you know <laughs> when, when
1: everything are... old is new
0: yeah exactly <laughs> it's, 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 it's okay i'm not gonna stutter um that's not funny it's,
1: no it's I, but i appreciate you having me on i you know I was unexpected when you asked me to talk about the King's speech and I (laughs) understand, I understand why, but it's also, it's a great excuse to go back and watch a movie that I love because, you know, my wife is a big Colin Firth fan, you know, going back to like love actually. But right after I watched him, I'm like, you know, we should watch the King's speech because she's never seen it. Uh, I'm like, I was thinking to myself, you know, I could watch this again this weekend. <laughs> you know? yeah. It's not something I ah, will watch in a month. Like, no, I could, I could go back and watch this right now. It's so good.
0: I want to repurchase the Blu-ray. It's, it's... oh man, <laughs> Tom, come on, man. Just enough with the musicals, please.
1: Hey, he's following his passions.
0: Oh, yeah, he sure is. Uh, (laughs) But
1: hey, you know, honestly, with the flop of cats, and I don't think even Le Miz did that well, and I don't think that Eddie Redmayne thing did well, I I would almost hazard to bet, and I'm not rooting for this because I think it's kind of sad, if he gets another project, it's probably going to be something safe and traditional, more in the vein of (sighs) King's Speech, so that he could come back and say yeah i can i can actually make money guys and win awards please i I can make good movies yeah
0: (laughs) i mean (laughs) i'll say this about cats compared to uh les miz at least cats is like an hour and a half les miz is like almost three hours or something like that like i have zoinks (laughs) oh eh, no At least cats gives me something interesting to watch. And Lay Miz literally makes me motion sick (laughs) with how often uh, I I remember the day when we saw Star Wars. They had cats on right after that. Jesus. Imagine what would happen to the senses. I mean, I was at a holiday party at work the night before. So uh, I was hung (laughs) over. Well, not hung over. I got high. Uh, It's it's legal now. Um, So (laughs) like, yeah. Uh, and Rise of Skywalker, they kept having those flashing fucking lights in exegol, and mm-hmm. uh, could you just could you just imagine having to sit through cats after that? I mean, they even had warnings with, with Rise of Skywalker that it could cause epilepsy.
1: I couldn't imagine sitting through Cats after Rise of Skywalker just because they're both such, yeah, kind of like what you're saying. They're both these frenetic kind of movies. I'm glad I watched Cats when I did, you know, on a nice uh, dating anniversary dinner, like a couple of weeks later.
0: <laughs> yeah, if you want to spit up your meal. Yeah, then, <laughs> <laughs> right, but having said that, thanks again, Ian, for coming on. Uh, we, we could talk for hours about stuff because that, that's what I do.
1: Absolutely. And we shall in the future.
0: Yes, because we got some Star Wars to talk about. Woohoo. We got a filler episode coming up. I know- <laughs> You're gonna eat those words and it's gonna
1: taste like fine roasted porg.
0: You know what? I will love to eat those words. no, uh, the, the, the <laughs> next one Dave Filoni's doing. That's gonna be the good one. All right. Uh, please, I you know what? I am proven to be wrong before. I was proven to be wrong about the selection, so I like being wrong these days. Uh, <laughs> So thanks again. Uh, Please check out the King's speech. Uh, Now now that the whole Oscar stuff is, it's been 10 years for God's sakes. Why am I even bringing up the Oscars? Just just watch the movie. (laughs) Uh, Indeed. Yes, indeed. So with that said, uh, thank you. Ian seems kickseek.com Gold, Uh You'll probably agree. Also known as Y P a reviews.com. You'll find everything there. Ian, you look very attractive in your picture here. Uh,
1: <laughs> it's, that- you know, it's something it's, it's new for COVID. I'm trying out in blonde hair, glasses, and boobs.
0: Yes. <laughs> yeah, I know. And meanwhile, I, I look more attractive. Now that I did in that picture then, I'm 45 pounds lighter, baby. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Double
1: congratulations. You're getting your degree and you're dropping pounds. This is amazing.
0: Everyone's losing weight during this time. You see what Francis Ford Coppola looks like now?
1: <laughs> no, but I am actually, I I'm going to watch Godfather 3 tonight. So uh
0: Oh my god, the new one? The recut?
1: No, just the one from 1990.
0: Oh. Did they <laughs> recut it? I I missed it. Yeah, oh, they're wow. coming out with a recut version.
1: Oh, so it's gonna be like an hour shorter, uh, because they're taking out uh, Sophia Coppola.
0: That's what I said in my Facebook. I'm like, did they CGI her out? Like,
1: <laughs> oh no, I, it's a com- uh, pure coincidence. I'm talking about it for my podcast with uh, with Cole. So, uh, uh, it, so is it out yet, or is it coming out?
0: I gotta check. It's a, mm. Check my Facebook. Uh, no, no, just just go like just Google Godfather Three. It's on there. All right, <laughs> just Google, Google it. Don't you hate it when people tell you to Google it? It's like just fucking tell me. Here, I'll just yeah. tell you actually. Uh, but I'll tell you when I cut. Uh, but thank you everybody uh, for watching, and uh, we shall see you later. Uh, I got a lot more material coming up because I'm stuck inside, kind of. Uh, all right. <laughs> Thanks a lot, guys, and but b- 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 bye. That was distasteful of me. Goodbye. Forget everything else and just say it to me.